Jesus said to his disciples, Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak new languages, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's the great mystery of the ascension, right? I mean, the Lord has left us, and yet He has not left us. He left the earth, but He doesn't leave us. This very end of the Gospel reading right here, it says, He took His seat at the right hand. They went forth everywhere, preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and through them. Paul said in the second reading, which we're going to focus on today, is that the Lord went up to the heavens to fill all things. This is the great mystery, that by leaving and going up to the heavens, He has now more intimately united Himself to us, more than when He walked on the earth, and united us to then each other as His body. And He did this because we're going to hear about this next week, when He sent His Spirit. That's what the Feast of Pentecost is about, so we'll get to that next week. But I would like you to think about it this way. This is how he fills all things. If you and I could travel back in a time machine 2,000 years ago-ish to right here into Michiana, and we were around and found some people, not one soul would know who Jesus Christ is. Not one. Even while he was walking on the earth on the other side of creation. But now here we are. Look at us. Here we are, and many other Christians in in Michiana, here we are, the Lord is indeed with us, and yet we know not everyone, even here in Michiana, knows Him, that the Lord is still filling all things, still filling the hearts of people. There are more hearts for us to fill with Jesus, amen? Amen. So we know our purpose. We know our mission is His church. So as I mentioned, the next two weeks What we're going to do is we're going to look at how the Spirit then gifts us and how He works in us as His church. And Paul loves, we'll hear it this week, we'll hear it again next week, this analogy of the body. That Christ is the head and we are His body organically, essentially connected to Him. We are one body. Now this whole year we've had this theme of one. And in fact our theme verse was contained in the heart of that second reading. So let me read it for you again. One body and one spirit, as you were also called to one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So first of all, my friends, praise God. Praise and thank our God that over especially this last year, He has held us together as the Trinity family. We are one. Amen? Amen. We could do a little better than that. Amen? Amen. I mean, you're doing pretty good. I thought Laura woke you up, but okay, we got to, we're still, the coffee has not kicked in yet. We're getting there. All right. What we realized, though, after this last year is that this oneness is all grace. It's all gift that he's given to us. He's the one who has done this. We don't construct our unity. 
right? We don't just simply gather around, you know, that we have similarities, we have common interests, like-mindedness. This oneness is a gift. And if you noticed in that theme verse, there are actually seven ones, that's, which is a perfect number, a perfect number of ones. There's a perfect oneness. See, the source of our unity, of course, is the one God, the Holy Trinity, the one God in three persons. And if you notice, they were laced throughout those seven ones. One Spirit, one Lord, which he's referring to the Lord Jesus, and one God and Father of us all. And then he talked about our one point of origin, which is the gift of holy baptism, where we became part of his family. And then our cohesion, the one faith that we share, and the one body that we share in this sacrament. It is the body of Jesus in the sacrament that makes us his body, the church. And finally then, the one destiny, the one hope that we have. That our whole thing, our whole hope is that we are someday going to be completely and totally one with the one God and all of his friends, the saints. It's, it's all gift. Oneness is given to us. But what Paul said in the reading then is that we can either keep it, we can strive to preserve it, or the opposite, we can break it up. Now, if we want to preserve it, he gave us the formula, being humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another through love. That's what we talked about last week. It's what it means to love, to be always putting the needs of others before us, always setting aside our own feelings or opinions or wants or needs, and always putting the other first, being self-sacrificing, that sincere gift of self. It's love. And that is absolutely critical to the next thing that Paul's going to talk about and kind of the main thrust of what I want to talk about today. So verse 7, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We are one, but obviously we are also very different, each of us individual people. And then Paul interjects this, verse 8. He's applying Psalm 68, verse 18. So he takes a bit of the Old Testament and he applies it to the New Testament and how it's fulfilled in Jesus and especially his ascension. He says, He, Jesus, ascended on high and took prisoners captive. He gave gifts to men. Now the image here is the king's victory parade. He's gone out and he's defeated his enemies. And our enemies, sin, death, and the devil. He's defeated them. And now he is returning triumphantly to the holy city. He's ascending to his throne. It's a parade. It's a victory parade. And as he comes in, he's passing out the spoils of his victory. He's giving his gifts to us. And what are those gifts? Verse 11, he tells us. He gave some as apostles, others as prophets, others as evangelists, others as pastors and teachers. Now, next week, what we're going to do is talk a little bit more about the personal gifts he gives to each one of us, but essentially what he's doing here is he's talking about the different places he gives us, the different roles that we have in this one body, his church. We're talking about the gifts of those who lead, those who are called to guide and to nurture his holy church, his people. See, we all share in that one baptism, but then out of that one baptism, he calls some to lead, and he gifts them to do that. So if you were here last week, it was a great, wonderful week because our soon-to-be pastor, Mason Veith, was here to visit with us. I know many of you got to meet him. Those of you who got to meet him, he is, he's going to be awesome, is he not? I mean, I am so, so excited for him to get here. I think we all, all are. He's going to be wonderful. And I thought to myself, man, this is perfect. This reading is perfect because we have a new pastor coming. 
Our new director of uh, worship and music, Marshall Murphy, is going to be coming in about a month. Um, it's a perfect time for us to talk about our places in the church, about pastors and people, about staff and people, uh, about leaders and his holy people. Because we got to be one. Amen? Amen. And we already heard how to do that. We got to be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love. Which sounds great, but it's a whole lot harder to do when you get egos involved and conflict and other things. I mean, look at me. I get to wear the fancy robes up front. I get to sit in the big chair over there, right? I mean, me, I, I'm, I'm kind of like this guy. Take a look at him. No, 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 no. And why do I sit in the big chair and why do I wear the robes? It's actually so that you don't see Spencer. The pastor's role is to be in persona Christi, which means in the person of Christ. When we worship, my place is to stand before you and make visible the head of the body, church, to be in the person of Christ to his body, to serve you and to give you his gifts. And every week, as you're going to say in just a few moments again, May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands. And usually I try to look at my hands. Because I think to myself, these hands? These broken, sinful human hands are to become the hands of Jesus? But that's it. These hands become the hands of Jesus to offer that sacrifice. To then serve you his body and blood. To wash you in baptism. This voice becomes the voice of Jesus to tell you that he loves you and that he forgives you. I, I've got absolutely no business up here in fancy robes and sitting in a big chair except that he put me up here. He placed me here. And now he's placed this guy named Mason Veith here. Or I think of all who are in our church who, who lead and have various roles. How Laura leads us in music. And then there's Sue and Tice and Paul, our principal, and all of our faculty and all of our staff. They're here because God has placed them here. And i got to tell you, that humbles us when you think about it that way. It humbles me to think that you would accept this ministry from broken men and women. That you would constantly pray for and encourage us and support us, especially the way you have this last year and lifted us up. That you share so generously from what God has given to you so that we can support our families and then dedicate ourselves to doing this ministry and, and serving you in return. My friends, I, I've told you before, I do not tell you enough. I love you. I love you so much. I know I speak for all of our staff. We love you so much. Okay, so then what's your role? What's your place? Pray and pay? As the old adage goes, no, of course not. Paul tells us what your role is. He calls those of us who lead to do this. Verse 12, we then equip the holy ones, you, the saints, the holy ones, 
for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Everything that we do in our place is to then equip you to serve in your place, where God puts you. That word equip can also be translated heal or, or mend. See, we, the ministry is to serve you word and sacrament so that you can be healed and mended, and then you go out into your places where God puts you, that you bring the healing of Jesus. It's whether it's here. I mean, you have a place here to serve as well as part of our Trinity family. That's how a family works, but it's also there outside these walls in your own household, your neighborhood, workplaces, schools. God has put us all in different places so that He can fill those places with Jesus. But sometimes in this consumer society of ours, some people look at church like they look at all things in this consumeristic world as a service. This is why people even go church shopping. They go looking for what they want. And this is what we pay for, right? I mean, that's why we hire the staff. We pay you people to do those things. Hey, you take my kids and you make them into Christians. You put on a religious performance that inspires me every week. You be there for me when I need you. And you know what? You better do it according to my liking and my preferences. It ought to work out for me and be convenient the way I want it. Well, that's not what it means to be the church. No, we all have ministry to do. We are His body. We all have different parts. We all have different places. But we're all working together to bring Christ into those different places. And for what? Here's the last thing. Verse 14. This is the purpose. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature to manhood, to the extent of the full stature of Christ. This is interesting. It's another mystery. See, we're one, but we're becoming one. Maybe you could put it this way. Think of it this way. When that sperm and that egg once united, whatever many years ago, all that you are was there. You were one person. All you, that you would become was there. And yet, there's also more of you, more of what you've become because you've grown and you matured. You remained one in the same person, and yet you're, you're more. A lot of people and a lot of Christians just simply don't want to grow up. They don't want to mature. And I think the same could be said for a lot of churches. They don't want to mature. They want to just stay right where they are. But all we can do is ask, what's God calling us to do as the Trinity family? As we now are, thank God, apparently coming out of this pandemic, as we've got a new pastor coming, we have a new musician coming, Lord willing, more new people will come and join our family. We've got to ask ourselves, what does it mean for Trinity to mature? For us to now grow up now at this particular time, to grow into all that Jesus wants us to be. So the best thing is to do is to pray about that. Let me give you some time to think about it and pray about it. I'd ask you to pray Pray for the whole Christian church. It's not just one little congregation, right? The whole church throughout the world. But if you would pray specifically for our Trinity family. Pray for our unity. That we may be one. That we may go forward now in our ministry. Pray for, for leaders and for his people, for those who are here now and for those who are yet to come. 
pray for this. We live in one little corner of the universe called Michiana. Pray that we could fill that little corner of the universe with the king of the universe, our Lord Jesus, who has ascended on his throne in heaven. Amen? Let me give you a few moments to pray.